If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. On today's episode of the podcast, I'm speaking with Carly. Carly was 38 when she became a mum and now lives in Victoria with her gorgeous three-year-old son, Lennon. So welcome to the podcast tonight, Carly. I would love to start by understanding what led to you to make the decision to become a solo mum by choice. Thanks, Alicia, and thanks for having me. Um, I guess my decision was, I would think, relatively a quick decision, I would think, in terms of what some people go through with their thought process. I knew that um, as I was getting older, I sort of approached 35 and I'd come from a family um, that have lots of nep- nephews and nieces. Um, mm-hmm. I've always been around children and I've always I know, I've known I've always loved children. I would think that I was born maternal. I just knew that there was something in me that I always knew I was going to be a mum. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> as I sort of approached 35, I knew I was getting older and not, you know, it's not, not terribly older and not panicking, but I did start to think, well, I hadn't met anybody. I'd been single for a long time. I'd been in and out of relationships where nothing was serious, but I started to think to myself, what was more important for my goal in life? Was it to meet a partner and to be a wife and to have a, have a household as a wife or was it for more important for me to become a mum? Yeah. And the more I started thinking about that, I decided I kind of knew that I really wanted to be a mum more so. Uh, ha- raising children was more important to me than being a wife. Yeah. Um, and the more I <clears throat> the more I thought about it, I, I, I can't even really remember my initial thought process of what made me think about that. Um, I remember thinking um, at the time, as I'm getting older, should I start to look into freezing my eggs perhaps? Um, so I, I had the opportunity to become a mum down the track and the more I thought about it, the more I thought I'd been single for such a long time anyway, the, the chances of me meeting somebody might never arise anyway and I might have frozen these eggs and not had the opportunity to use them. So the more research I did, the more I looked around, I sort of realised that that yeah, I think I can do this. I think I've got the right support. I think I've got uh, the right family behind me. And why not do, do you know, meet with a doctor and meet with a specialist and see what's involved. And I guess everything sort of snowballed after that and one thing led to another and I knew that I was on the right path as I started making my initial inquiries. Yeah. 
And so did you tell your friends and family what you were considering and what was their reaction? Yeah, I told my sister straight away um, and my family know how um, child orientated I've been my whole life and I'm incredibly close to my nieces and I've helped raise them with my sister and I spoke to her about it initially and her excitement was next level. So I knew that I knew that mum and dad will be the same. So it's just my sister and my mum and dad in our family of four. Um, And she sat down with me when we spoke to mum and dad and I wasn't at all nervous about telling mum and dad. I knew that they'd have a great reaction and they did. Um, And I think at the start I didn't tell many friends. I didn't tell many friends at all really. I didn't tell many people at all throughout the process Uh, and I don't even know why that was. It wasn't an embarrassment thing. It's just something I wanted to keep personal to myself I think until I had news to share Um, and I didn't know how long the process would take. But I, I spoke to a couple of very, very close girlfriends, probably girlfriends who were single I think um I sort of relied on them a bit more because they could sort of understand my situation a bit more yeah um but all the um the responses that I got were all incredibly positive and there was no sort of everything was positive from the start from my friends and family definitely that makes it a lot easier doesn't it so much easier yeah takes a weight off your shoulders and so you went to see a specialist. What did you go through to choose who you were going to see for your treatment? Yeah, that's a really good question. And for me, that was totally simple. Um, in the area I was living in at the time, I was inner city, Melbourne, and I just went to my local doctor who I saw all the time for my normal sort of things and spoke to her about what I was thinking of doing. Yeah. And she jumped on her computer, typed in a few things and said, oh, I've got a fantastic specialist around the corner. She'll be amazing for you. I, In hindsight, from now what I know, if I did this again, I would probably do a bit more research myself in terms of the specials that I wanted to see. Okay. Um, I just got a referral to Monash IVF and she told me to go there. They're around the corner from you. You can walk there. They're the closest one to you, which when you're starting out, I think um, you would take it. I think you sort of take any advice on board and you don't really know which path to follow and you don't have the experience behind you to know sort of which which way to go so that was fine mate suited me she told me where to go um and off I went and I didn't really think that I could you know ask others for their advice or have yeah. a look on google and check reviews and do some research myself I just honestly just did exactly what my local doctor told me to do being close to home is probably very handy advice though given it how many was go it, there for stands and things isn't it exactly yes and to be able to walk there or catch a tram there for two tram stops it really was very very handy so actually quite it worked out quite well actually and so the specialist that you did end up with was she supportive of your situation and yeah incredibly was this plan for you Yes, she was. Um, So that was Dr. Lynn Burmeister when she was still at uh, Monash IVF before she left. Um, And, yes, she was very supportive. You could tell that she's seen many, many people in my situation before. She knew exactly what to say, what to do. Um, Yeah, so, um, and once again, I just sort of followed her advice and followed exactly what she said to do and didn't think to look anywhere else or get any more referrals to see anybody else, see if I had a better rapport with anybody. I sort of just took on board what she said and um, followed exactly what she told me to do, basically. And given your age and situation, what, did you do IUI or IVF to conceive? Yeah. So Lynn told me um, from the start that um, uh, I would need to do um, two, I would need to do IUIs first of all and have two of them to okay. fail to then be able to um, claim the Medicare rebate. 
um, or yeah. the Medicare subsidy or something like that. Um, and because they then class you as medically unfit to get pregnant if you had two failed IUIs, which I did do, obviously. I had two failed ones um, right away. And then I was able to claim the Medicare subsidy or rebate or whatever it was at the time. So, yes, IUIs were my first two and they both failed. Okay. And how did you go about um, choosing sperm? Um, that was really interesting. Um, like, and that's something I did discuss with my girlfriends. They all thought it was hilarious that we could, you know, have this party and sit around and look at these donors and, you know, get on the laptop and like something out of a movie where you go through these profiles and check out men. And when it came down to it, none of that happened whatsoever. I wanted to do it all on my own. Okay. I, I um, didn't really know or have any expectation of what information you would get from your donor packs or what you would be able to see or, you know, I didn't know whether you'd see photos or, you know, read a profile on a website. Like could be like Tinder where you see photos and I honestly had no idea. Um, so when I was given the information booklet, like in a printout version with no photos, I was quite surprised at the um, – in the first instance, the very little bit of information that you get in the very first instance, like, you know, the pack where it just says, you know, very, very basic details before you might choose your top five and you can see a lot more details. Um, But I didn't really have too many prerequisites on choosing a donor. I didn't think like some people do and think, um, would I like him to look like a partner that I would choose in my real life? I didn't think like that at all. I just wanted to make sure that they were ha- uh, they were healthy, they had a good background, um, you know, they had some similar sort of interests to me. Um, yeah, so um, originally I don't think in the first information pack that I received, I don't think there were many options that I would have nothing that really sort of stood out to me, nothing that really, I'd, you know, I'd love to choose. And then the very, very last minute they um, emailed me, uh, it was like on Friday afternoon at 5 o'clock to say, oh, Carly, we just have one more donor come on the list. This is these details and it was it was just like something had just clicked and it was just, it was like the most perfect, amazing match for me, everything she said in there. And I remember yeah. reading it to my sister and saying, oh, my God, I cannot believe this donor they've just found for me. It was like it was meant to be. It was just everything in the profile clicked and it made sense and I knew that was the perfect donor for me. It was amazing. And it was, was it an Australian donor or an international donor? Yeah, Australian donor, um, but with um, Spanish background, but grown up and raised in Australia, but with Spanish parents. Oh, nice olive skin then maybe. Well, that's exactly what I thought until my son was born with red hair and uh, white skin. So that's another, <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> so could you use the same donor for your IUI rounds as well as your IVF or did you have to change? Yes. Yeah, so my IUIs and my, my my IUI rounds and my first six rounds of IVF were all with the same donor and they were all unsuccessful. Your Lennon first was six rounds. Yeah. Yeah, they're okay. successful. Back. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, Lennon, my son, is lucky number seven, but I had two IUIs and six unsuccessful transfers before Lennon, and they were all with the same donor, unsuccessful, yeah. until I'd been given advice from my new clinic because I ended up changing from, because Lynn left, obviously, Lynn Burmaster left Monash IVF, and I stayed there. Uh, and my new specialist told me, look, you've had this many um, not so great rounds. Perhaps we have a look at changing donors and seeing there's something to do with the donor. And okay. we did change donors. And that's when I chose that amazing one. And that's the one that did finally stick. Right. So you did two rounds of IUI. And how many rounds yeah. of IVF to get the six transfers? Uh, 
there was one, uh, two egg collections, but it was six transfers. So that was all with one donor and then you changed yes. it with this miracle yes. one that came at 5.30 on a Friday. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's, that's the one that worked. Oh, wow. Yeah. How did you find mentally going through all of those transfers and those horrible negative results? Um, in hindsight, it's very easy to say that, look, it was okay and it was, you know, it was bearable and I did it, but at the time of it, it's not okay and it's not easy to go through all those negative results. And, you know, you can pick, I can pick, think back now and think of times where I was walking home from the tram stop and I can exactly remember the moment I was getting my period and just the, the, the disappointment, you know, and you get your period and when you're at work in the work cubicle and you're thinking it might've been a positive that time. And the, the disappointment is just next, I mean, next, next level um, and very hard to cope with and very hard to cope with not having someone to talk to about it, like a partner to talk to about it and someone to lean on and rely on when you're going through all those things. Um but yeah, it, it, it is incredibly tough. It's incredibly tough mentally while you're working at the same time, and you know you've got this goal and you've got this something in your mind that you're really trying to reach. It's very, very tough. Incredibly tough. It's the so toughest hard. thing I've the toughest thing I've been through definitely. And there's no doubt about that. Yeah, it's one of those things that there's something you want so badly and there's actually nothing in your control yeah. that you can do yeah. about it. That's exactly right. And everything in life you sort of, you know, that, that you want or need or you can go and fix it yourself or do it yourself or, you know, you're an independent woman who can do all this on your own and all this. But this is the one thing that you want more than anything in the world and it just seems so unobtainable. Yeah, the, the setbacks and the knockdowns are incredibly difficult, very difficult. Knowing what you know now after obviously being through a really, pretty rough journey to get Lennon, yeah. Is there any advice that you give anyone who's maybe starting out of how they could manage that if they unfortunately have to go through similar? Yeah, definitely have a really good support network. Yeah. I probably didn't talk to my friends enough about it. I have lots of girlfriends or friends, families that have children already and I just wasn't, I probably incorrectly thought that they wouldn't know what to say to me or, what to, you know, how to deal with me going through this sort of thing. So I didn't really open up to them. Yeah. Um, I kept a lot of it because I, I sort of lived 40, 45 minutes away from my family because I was in a city. They didn't see a lot of it. Like, you know, there might be a phone call or they knew that I was, I, I got my period and it was unsuccessful, or, but they didn't see me, you know, crying in the shower, on the shower floor or they didn't, they weren't close enough to know exactly the ins and outs of exactly what you're going through. So I think it's a really good support network is really, really important um, mm. to be very, you know, close to friends and family to be able to talk to people about it. Um, use the counselling that they give you. Like I did the um, initial one that you have to do at the start, you know, to tick the box to say you've done it. But I do believe that I would uh, think there's, you know, other sessions that you can attend and the, the clinics have all these, you know, um, things in place to help you through this to maybe to be able to use them and rely on them as well would be good. That's really good advice, yeah. I think, yeah. But yeah, it's, it, it is a very difficult thing to go through and, to, yeah, to have a network of support people will be really helpful. Yeah. So then we changed donor, so it was just yes. one round of IVF, and yep. we got yep. our, our gorgeous lucky, lucky linen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did you get any other embryos with him as well, or just? I did. Yeah, I've still got five embryos frozen. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That. <clears throat> excuse me. That. Um. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, it's this is what my head's where my head's at at the moment. So Lennon's just turned three. Um, and the interesting thing is that when you're trying to 
conceive your, have your first child, the want and the drive and the need and the determination is just next level. Like you will do anything to have that first child. Like it's just, just you know, you're that desperate to have that first child. And I thought that that would be the same for the second child, but mm. it's just not the same. I'm just, I'm just undecided now. Like I think I want another child, but it's not, uh, you know, not a definite like it was with Lennon. And I know I've got those five there, <clears throat> but it just seems to be not as desperate this time around that I have one um, to go back and do it again. I think I will. I'm just undecided at the moment still. Your intention going into it is that ideally you'd have more than one child? Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. thought, I thought, oh, I'd have five, you know. I remember, I remember <laughs> saying to Lynn, Lynn in my sessions, you know, can you put two back in, please? I'd love to be a twin mum. And she said to me, <laughs> you are crazy. You cannot have a, tw- you can have twins on your own. I said, I can do it. I can do it. I'll be fine. But before going into this, I would definitely wanted two or three or, yeah. and I still do think I do, but just the get up and go the second time around is a lot less than it was the first time around. Yeah. Definitely. So once you finally got pregnant with him, how was pregnancy? Were you anxious because you'd been through so much to get him or? Not at all. I, oh. I found pregnancy incredible. Oh, don't get me wrong, the first uh, probably 12 weeks I was pretty anxious mm-hmm. um, and didn't um, really talk about it. I remember people like family giving me little gifts and things and I wouldn't open them just because I didn't want to silly jinx it. I didn't want to jinx yeah. that something could go wrong in the first 12 weeks. But you know, sort of as I started to hit sort of halfway or, you know, even longer, I felt incredible. I felt fantastic. I felt that I'd never looked better. I was so proud of my body. I just I just felt like I, I had achieved something so amazing and this is, my goal was coming. I just, I, I, I literally felt elated the whole way through pregnancy. It was the best feeling. I just loved it. Oh, that makes <laughs> me say, how can we have another tune then? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the anxiety in the first 12 weeks is probably completely understandable given how long it took for you to conceive him. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It was just I just didn't want to jinx it or, you know, do anything, which is silly. Like you can't jinx something like that, but it just I just didn't want to jeopardise anything. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, I guess because I just I'd finally reached my goal. I just didn't want to jeopardise it. And were you still living 45 minutes away from your family when you had him or did you No, no. So, um. I um, lived in a one-bedroom apartment in the city, close to the city, mm-hmm. um, and I loved it. That was the best lifestyle for me because I was single and I was, you know, I loved my job and I could go out after work and it was fantastic. But once I knew that my life was changing and um, I was going to be a mum and I just knew I couldn't live like that, you know, you can't put a pram or a cot or anything yeah. in a one-bedroom apartment. And I also clearly knew I needed the support um, of family around me. I couldn't do it on my own. So I moved out to the suburbs uh, 45 minutes away from the city to be close to mum and dad. And I now, Leonard and I now live a three-minute walk from mum and dad's house. So it could not be better. It's fantastic. It's quicker to walk to the house than it is to get in the car, which is so helpful because I need as much support as I can get with working and um, raising him. So, yeah, it was a good thing to do to move out this way, definitely. Are you still working in the city? So you've got that community Yeah. Yeah, but I work from home mostly now, thankfully. So okay. it's only one day in the city and the other two days at home. So it's not too hard at all. And the day that I'm in the city, mum and dad have him, which is great. Really helpful. Did you have a year of maternity leave? Yeah, I had a bit longer than a year because of the whole COVID situation. Right. Um, and I think there were supplements or something in there that were going on or I can't even remember now. But it turned out that, I mean, I was very nervous about, 
having time off work just from the income point of view and just didn't mm-hmm. have much because I, I don't own a home anymore. I rent. I was worried about, you know, paying the rent and um, how was I going to manage. That was probably one of my biggest worries through pregnancy was the income and the money side of things. How on earth was I going to be able to have a family um, on a single income, on, a, on my income, um, and then also, to, you know, taking 12 months off the maternity leave. But I, something happened during COVID. There must have been supplements or something or whatever yeah. happened. It turns out I actually had 18 months off, which was brilliant. Oh, and lucky. It was, yeah, it worked out <laughs> so, so well. Um, and it was all while COVID was happening. So, you know, we were stuck at home together. So, um, yeah, the 18 months at home were fantastic. And if I had my choice, I didn't really want to go back to work after having him, and I probably don't still want to now. I'd much rather be at home, but you know, this these are sort of win lotto somehow. Don't exactly, you? yeah, it's a sacrifice that we have to make. That um, you know, in order to have him, that I've, you know, I've got to work obviously to support our family. So it is what it is. And you're working full time or part time? No, just part time, three days a week. And look, it's a massive struggle. And anyone that works part time would know that on a single income, um, it's a huge struggle. And we're broke all the time. But you know, it's it it it's nothing in comparison to the joy and elation that I have with having my son with me. So it's totally worth it. It's probably a factor when you're thinking about number two as well, though. It's a massive factor. It really yeah. is. And, you know, I wouldn't be able to have that much time off work with number two. And, um, you know, it, that's probably my main factor with having number two is is the money side of things, you know, two sets of school fees. And mm-hmm. I, I just, I, how do people manage it, honestly? And I don't really want to go back to work five days a week. I probably have to down the track, and especially with two. But, um, yeah, the, the money is, if, if and people ask me, what is, in my opinion, the hardest part of raising a child on my own? There's no doubt about it in my mind. The question, the answer to me is, is the income, the money, definitely yeah. for me, totally. Yeah. Yeah. But, you, I mean, you do what you have to do. You make it work and you cut things out and you don't do this, you don't do that. And but it's, it's definitely worth it, but that is the trickiest part for me. Yeah. Do you get some good support from the family, though? They obviously look after him. Once a week, they is it do. Any other two days, or yeah, exactly. He's at daycare twice a week, and then with yeah. mum and dad once a week. Um, yes, I do get some good support. Um, my sister's uh, an hour away from me, so I don't see no. her a great deal. Which is she's down by the beach, which is sad. Um, yeah, I do. Get, I do get good support. Mum and dad are getting older, so they find him a bit tricky because he's just obviously a toddler on the go and doesn't nap during the day anymore. And I know they get tired from having him. And um, look. There are definitely times where I think a second set of grandparents will just be amazing right now just to, you know, just to even things like, you know, thinking about going dating again or, you know, meeting somebody. I can't even – how do people find the time possibly to – people say, when are you going to meet somebody? Like, who has time to meet somebody? What is, how is that even possible? I love how many people assume they're like, oh, so you're dating again now? Yeah. It's like how like, and when? Yeah, what and the they hell? laugh and they laugh and say, come on, like how like, there's no physical way it's possible to fit that. I can't understand how that would fit into a day, daily schedule. So like a second set of grandparents would be really helpful in that instance. Um, but, yes, I, I do say I, I have I do have good support, but I know that mum and dad do struggle with him a bit as they're getting older. Yeah. And two would be tricky for them, definitely. Yeah, a lot of factors you've got to put into the, the decision on number two, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, totally, yeah. And it seems more so with that than it does with number one. Yeah. I mean, at least you've got technically five options. Yeah, yeah. If you decide to. Yeah, and I think that's a reason why I'm sort of not jumping the gun and making decisions because I do, I know I have those five there. I mean, I'm not getting any younger, obviously. I'm 
uh, turning 42 next year. Yeah. But I know that um, I've got them there and I guess that's why I'm not stressing about it, that I know they are there as a backup. Mm. Um, and, uh, look, I will get around to it. I'm just loving life with just Lennon and I at the moment, enjoying the time with just the two of us and, um, yeah, <laughs> lapping it all up at the moment. What's your favourite thing that the two of you do together? Uh, <laughs> probably, probably co-sleep, I'd say. I love that he sleeps in my bed with me still. Okay. Um, yeah, um, yeah, the cuddles and the snuggles in the morning wakes me up in the morning. Yeah, and yeah, his arms around my neck and listening to him breathe next to me. Yeah, I just love those cuddles together. Are beautiful. <laughs> if you look back on your your journey now, is there anything that you wish you'd done maybe differently now, knowing what you know now? Um, look, possibly not. But uh, one thing I probably would say to people and it look it turned out okay for me in the end because of what happened with Lynn leaving and moving and all that but I would probably say that I should have known to do some more research at the start don't just trust the first um, specialist um, or clinic that your doctor refers you to mm-hmm. do your research and since having Lennon I didn't even know this but there's you know there's so many Facebook groups around and chat groups and all these solo mum by choice groups that you can join and people have great ideas and referrals and things of what they've been through and so maybe not just and luckily enough for me it worked out okay with my my process but maybe um get a you know a few referrals choosing an IVF doctor and someone that you have a good relationship with is really really important I think some you, you spend you trust them with creating a life for you it's an incredibly big decision and not something that should be taken lightly and just you know, go whoever your doctor refers you to, I think doing your research is really, really important. So for you, you think that the rapport with your specialist is the most important part, like getting the right person you bond with? Yeah, I don't know if it's the most important part, but I think it's very important. Um, You put so much trust in these people and I actually haven't thought about it since I was seeing my specialist, but I I remember thinking back, like these people are just God, like (laughs) they are holding my entire dreams and my life wants and goals in their hands and you just you just think everything they say and do is just I remember thinking I, I trust you with everything I've got like this has to work I, I want this to work so bad I remember thinking what they say to you is got to be the right thing like you just put that much trust into them that you know you want it to work so badly so I think that you do have to have that rapport with them as well that um, you know it goes hand in hand um, so definitely do your research and have a look around and, you know, build up, you build up that rapport with them before you sit down. And, and, you know, it's, it's an incredibly expensive thing on the other hand as well, that you're paying somebody so much money, you know, you don't want to be changing clinics and going through this with different people and specialists and doctors and going, you know, seeing different clinics all the time. So, um, doing your research at the start, I think really is probably a very good tip. Brilliant. So pregnancy after about halfway, you absolutely loved yeah. Did everything amazing. go well with the birth as well? Yeah, I haven't talked about that, have we? <laughs> um, yes, it did. Somehow he magically um, arrived. The storm yes. <laughs> That's what it feels like now. Um, yes. Um, yeah, look, it did. It, yes, it did go very, very well. Um, an overview, it did go very well. Um, I was induced at 38 and 1 due to um, low fetal movements, the fact he was an IVF baby and my age all combined, so they induced me. None of the inducing worked um, and I didn't go into natural labour myself. 
Um, and after 12 hours, they just said, you're not going anywhere at all. You're not dilating whatsoever. Your blood pressure is going up. Or you've got blood in your urine. We're just going to give you a Caesar. So, um, and I didn't have any preconceived ideas with that. Um, I, I, I just wanted a healthy baby at the end of the day. It didn't really bother me at all how he was born as long as he was healthy. Um, so I wasn't disappointed to hear that. Um, and the season went really, really well. The only thing that I um, didn't love about the season was that he wasn't put on my chest straight away, um, which is what I really wanted him to come straight okay. up to my chest. He was taken over to the table and um, mum was in the room with me, mum was in the delivery room with me and um, I could see both of them together from where I was lying on the bed but he didn't come straight onto my chest, which I really, really wanted. Um, But other than that, I can't fault it. Um, He did, um, they thought he picked up an infection throughout the labour from the fact that my temperature had spiked so much. So he spent five days as a precautionary measure in um, the special care unit, um, which I found quite a lot to deal with um, on my own. Like it would have been lovely to have a partner there to support me through that. you just gone through this incredible, you know, birthing a child and then your emotions are all over the shop. You're on that many different drugs. You're as high as a kite. You can't comprehend what's going on. It would have been lovely to have. Yeah, exactly. It would have been lovely to have somebody by my side to sort of help me through that. I was just so panicking as a new mum that why is he in special care nursery and what's wrong with him? And, you know, you just can't, your mind can't deal with all that sort of stuff, you know, you're going through at the time. But look, at the end of the day, he was in there for five days and he came out perfectly healthy. It was a precautionary measure anyway. So, yeah, I don't have um, any qualms about my birth at all. I, I quite, I liked my birth. Um, they've told me now that my next, because of um, the amount of blood that I lost during the season, my next baby will definitely be a Caesar as well, which okay. it doesn't bother me once again. I'm, I'm not the kind of person that, you know, I really wanted a natural birth. So I'm happy with that. But either way, he's healthy and that's the main thing I can ask for. It's kind of good going into that straight away, knowing that that's a situation. So yep. it's not like you can set yourself up to have something in the exactly. round. It's just this is yeah. how it, yeah. Is it, yeah, and the doctors have told you and they know what's best for you. So that, that's the way it's going to be. So you obviously moved from where you were living when you got pregnant. And um, how did you find yeah. finding a house hospital and pregnancy care and then? Yeah, that was funny actually. Time. Yeah, very funny because um when I found out I was pregnant, I was still living in Richmond in the city. So um I, you know, had all my care plans and everything set up for an inner city hospital. Yeah. Um, but I knew in my mind that I wasn't going to be there, but you still have to make all these bookings and get in, you know, make your plans and um, and I didn't actually know where I wanted to live. I didn't know whether I wanted to live down by the beach near my sister or if I wanted to live in the suburbs near mum and dad. That was still something I hadn't decided on yet. So um, I had to I had to sort of choose where I was going to live before I could then change my hospital plans and where I was going to have the baby. So it all sort of fell into place. Um, but I definitely did start seeing somebody in a city first of all and then I ended up changing over and moving out to the suburbs, which worked out fine in the end. How pregnant were you when you moved? Um, I was six months when I moved okay. um, and I remember looking at rentals out here with mum. She came with me and I remember hiding my belly thinking, and it wasn't, it wasn't huge at that stage, but I didn't, I just didn't know whether they would give um, a rental to somebody in my situation that, you know, only had one income. I was going to be raising a child. I just didn't, all these things are unknown. You've really got no idea um, what, what, what they were going to think. So I did hide my belly when I came to rental inspections and, you know, I mean, mum and I would say, oh, that, that would be great for a toy room or that would be good for a baby's room to ourselves. But, um, yeah, it, 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 
I just knew I needed to be near family to raise him. So I just had to find a rental somewhere out in sort of area. So it was it worked out fine. You think you made the right call going to the suburbs rather than the beach? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> I, don't, I never thought about that. Um, yes, I yes, I the support I get from mum and dad will, is better than what I'll get from my sister because she works and she's got her own children to raise. And that's what mum I kept saying. She has her own family. She's got two daughters. You know, two daughters that she needs to raise on her own. I wouldn't be able to get as much help with Lennon that I that I do from mum and dad. So, look. If I had my choice in where I would live, it certainly wouldn't be in this suburb. It's not my ideal <laughs> suburb whatsoever, but it's close to mum and dad and he needs that and I need that. So it's worked out really well. Yeah. Maybe your sister will move that way one day. Yeah, that's what we want. We keep there. saying that. Yeah. <laughs> like family and suburbs. Cute. Yeah. <laughs> and how did you find when you first came back from the hospital then, like those early days when it's just the two of you? Oh, taking me back. Wow. Yeah. Um, um, I had read all the books. I'd read all, you know, you have all these plans in your head that you're going to, you know, express for you in the last feed so mum can get in the last feed of the night and you read all these. I think I've read that book, birth- that book yep. <laughs> oh, yeah, the birth to six weeks book. So when you have everything yep. in your head planned so perfectly and then all that goes out the window. Um, I was very excited to come home. Um, I had planned that mum and dad would stay with me for the first three or four nights maybe just to help me get through the first couple of days because I had a seizure and I couldn't drive. Um, but when we came home, I think they only stayed one night in the end. I didn't want anybody else here. I just, I didn't, I, I didn't need it. I just, it just, things fell into place for us so wonderfully. I just, he was a great baby. <clears throat> Excuse me. He slept really well. He fed well. I just didn't, and I just felt that people in my home, I was, you know, I just on edge. I just wanted to begin our life, the two of us. And I think after one night I said, Mum, that's it, we're fine, we don't need any more help. And I knew they were right around the corner. If I needed anything, they were literally three seconds away. So after Great, one so night you I said you had that option and it was an yeah. apparent choice that you didn't need them so they could go home rather than and it was my choice. needing exactly. someone and they're not there. So Exactly, that's right. And yeah. it was my choice. And they would have happily stayed for six weeks if if, if I needed them. But <laughs> um, I'm living there now. <laughs> exactly. But being around the corner, I just felt comfortable that they were there if, if I needed them, so which was great. Yeah. How did you find the C section by yourself? Um did you put anything yeah, in place that kind of helped with that? No. Um I was I was actually very surprised with the recovery of the C-section. Like initially, you know, first 24 hours, I was I couldn't believe the pain or, you know, you're learning to shower again. You've got a nurse in there showering you and, like, just you, I just can't imagine. I think back and think, oh, my goodness, me. Like, is that me in the shower doing that with her? Like, it's <laughs> crazy after what you've gone through. But after that, when I got home, I'm incredibly surprised how well I healed from the Caesar. Like they said, you know, you can't hang out washing or you, you can't do anything strenuous. My um my um incision did get um it did get infected, um, mm. but it was a bit a bit painful. But other than that, it, it healed really quickly. Everything it was, I think, was fantastic. I couldn't fault the Caesar uh, process whatsoever. Yeah. Good, because you might have another one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that's in the back of my mind now thinking it actually wasn't that bad. It was pretty good. Yeah. So first and lots of medication. Not, yeah. Take the medication that they tell yeah. you. Yeah. Think that you're ready the, to go off it. You're not. <laughs> but that's the thing, though. Like, how do you remember to take medication when you're trying to look after a new life that you just brought into the world? Like you've got four trillion things going on. The last thing on your mind is taking your own medication. <laughs> I had a lot of phone alarms set up. So I was thinking. Why is that me? And I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, but, <laughs> but is that an alarm to 
feed your baby or change your baby or take your medication or there's just so much going on. <laughs> Set phone alarms make life <laughs> So you were lucky to be home with him for 18 months but obviously went into lockdown because he's three now so yeah, would have been like that. Yeah. How did you find that? You seem like you'd be quite a social person naturally, not being able to have visitors and stuff. Yeah. Um, look, it was tough and tough for everybody but now in hindsight we've been through it I can say that it was probably I absolutely loved it I really really enjoyed it had I been living in the city on my own in an apartment I wouldn't have said the same thing but I was every day so thankful and so grateful that I had the company of this little guy and someone said to me once and put everything into perspective for me that if we hadn't been through this, I would have been back at work earlier. Lennon wouldn't yeah. have been in childcare. Lennon would have been in childcare. I wouldn't have seen his first steps. I wouldn't have seen his first words. All these things would have happened at childcare when I wasn't with him. Mm. But because we were home and stuck at home together, I got to spend this incredible time with him one-on-one and bond so beautifully in the first 18 months that I thank, I'm not thankful, but it wouldn't have happened without COVID. Like, it, you know, I would have had to go back to work so much earlier. So I just tried to take the positive from it yeah. um, that I was spending more time with him and we had more bonding time one-on-one and just the small things. Like I'm incredibly lucky that so thankful the mother's group that I joined, there was also another solo mum by choice in my oh, mother's really? group as well. Yep. Okay. And she lives uh, a two-minute walk from my house oh, and her, her son is three days older than my son. Yeah. So they're the absolute best of friends now and we're the best of friends now as well. It was like it was meant to be moving out here and meeting her. It was just honestly the universe wanted us to meet. So we're raising both our boys together. They go to the same childcare centre. They're the best of friends. So that during that COVID time, we really strengthened our friendship. We walked every day together. We had each other to rely on back and forth. So that was a, a very, very good support to have her and still going through exactly the same thing as me, the same feelings, the same emotions as me, and she's just around the corner. It's amazing. So lucky. So most other people like they struggle to find another one. Yes. In the Facebook group. It was group. in my mother's group. It was amazing. I was just it was, it was meant to be. Yeah. And have you managed to connect with many other solo mums by choice since you've had Lennon? No, not at all. I haven't. Not at all. But I'm incredibly, I've only just, I'm not on Facebook. I don't have a Facebook page, but I've sort of just joined recently just as a, a dummy page just to have a look at these solid mum by choice pages. And I cannot believe the amount of people that are on them and mm. the discussions and the meetups and the chats. And I really didn't realise what such a large community it is. Like, you know, you're sort of really only aware of your own bubble and your own situation, but there is such an incredibly large community out there that it, it's 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 really heartening to see. It's beautiful. I've actually just committed to go to a, um, a Christmas party, a Christmas catch-up from one of the groups somewhere in the city on just before Christmas for all the solo mums and their children. So I really do want to do that sort of thing and um, I want Lennon to be around other um, families with the same situation as ours. <clears throat> so those sort of groups and things, they're fantastic for that. They're amazing and great support, obviously. Yeah, we actually went on a camping trip with I think it was almost 30 different solo mums from Victoria. Oh, we my goodness. Anglesey and all these kids and it was just I amazing. would love that. That sounds yeah. amazing. So I'll put the, the link in the show notes for the Facebook group um, and Fantastic. then there are different state groups from it as well. So, Oh, lovely. How And incredible. it's just kind of like someone will say, I'm going camping at Anglesey for this weekend and then if anyone wants to join me, then everyone else books and suddenly there's a massive group of everyone going. And That's so beautiful. 
Yeah. I think Lennon will be a good age, whereas Lexi was a bit too young when we went, but yeah, give it six okay. months and she'll be a bit bigger because she was just a little bit too small for the play equipment and stuff. And yeah, not okay. independent playing enough and still has had naps at that time. So Yeah, rightio. That sounds amazing. Yeah. So good. And I, I, I do recall, and I don't think about it often now, but I do recall when I was trying to conceive and in the full headiness of the whole thing and just so consumed by what I wanted, I do remember – following lots of different pages on Instagram and following people's journeys. And I was so invested in these people that were had achieved what I wanted to achieve. And I remember just thinking, I, I just I just idolised them. I just think, I remember thinking, how you're incredible. I want to be like you. It was just, yeah, when you're going through that process, I remember the want so badly thinking this is the life that I want and you love following along with those people. It was great. Yeah, once you make that decision, it's just all-consuming. Yeah. It's all you isn't want, it? isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, that's a great way to explain it, is all-consuming. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you've got your gorgeous linen now. Is Thanks, there anything Alicia. that you'd like to tell anyone listening who's maybe just starting out or just on the fence about whether this is the right path for them or not? Um. Yeah, my only advice is it's totally worth it, every single part of it. It's totally worth it. The, the financial part, the loneliness, the you know, the questioning whether it's the right thing to do or not. For me, in my own personal opinion, it's the, the most incredible decision I've ever made, the best thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah. I, I cannot imagine my life without it. And you know what? It is incredibly hard. It's so, so tough on your own. There's so many moments where you think, I need help. I want some extra support. I need, you know, am I giving him, am I enough for him? Do I do enough for him? Is he sick of me? You think of all these things. But at the end of the day, you know, there's nothing else more than they need in their mum. So if you're thinking, if you're on the fence about it, I, can't, I cannot recommend it highly enough. The love that you get from your child is worth every single part of it. Well, that seems like a very beautiful way to end. So thank you so much for sharing your gorgeous story. Thank you for having me. It's been really lovely to talk about it and take me back down memory lane again. And it's kind of made me want to thinking about number two again now. (laughs) If you have number two, it's going to be my fault now. (laughs) (laughs) It's been lovely chatting to you, Alicia. Thank you very much. I'm Alicia and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like, a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.